Hey everyone, welcome to the Office Hours with Cloud Posse, your weekly dose of insider DevOps with uh, about the AWS, Terraform. We cover trends, sweet news, all sourced from our SweetOps community, plus a live Q&A that you can't find anywhere else. It's September 13th, 2023, and I'm your host, Eric Osterman. Real quick, I'm the founder and CEO of Cloud Posse. We're a DevOps accelerator for startups that helps teams who are overwhelmed with AWS. We do this by using our library of 200 Terraform modules that have been battle tested and downloaded over 10 million times. No matter where you find yourself on this journey, we're here to help your startup build a reliable, modern, scalable infrastructure, transform ClickOps into a well-oiled DevOps machine and leverage our open source rock solid Terraform blueprints. The result, you launch better products faster, free up your bandwidth for innovation and nail your value delivery every time. And if you or your team has been banging your head against the wall with underperforming infrastructure, just head over to cloudposse.com slash quiz, answer a few quick questions, and we'll chart out a roadmap for success free. Worst case, you get a clear roadmap for shoring up your infrastructure. Best case, we co-build it with you and empower your DevOps team in 90 days or less. So how do you maximize today's session? First off, our format's informal. Engage as much as you'd like, ask questions. And if you're curious about any of our open source tools or modules, go for it. For those on the recording, we host these calls live, so don't miss out. Join us by going to cloudposse.com slash office hours. Again, cloudposse.com slash office hours. Now, I do have one ask. If you find any portion of today's office hours valuable, share it with your team. Just head over to youtube.com slash cloudposse or send us a short testimonial about the value you're getting in Slack. Just go to Slack cloudposse.com. Remember, we're not simply just creating content here. We're, bu we're building a community. Now, let's get started with the news. And here's what caught my attention this week. Uh, first, sad. I mean, we announced previously, you know, Squarespace acquired or Google spun off their domains division. Well, that has now completed to the extent that any new registrations, you have to create a new account and go over to Squarespace. If you have domains currently registered on Google domains, you can still continue to manage them on there, but that will be eventually uh, migrated over. Uh, just another reminder, um, it's I, I bring it up more like, <laughs> not, not that it probably affects too many people using OpsWorks uh, for Chef, but it's just kind of like the end of an era coming to a close as different little platforms supporting Chef are winding down. Well, OpsWorks uh, end of life for Chef is May 5th. Um, Amazon doesn't shut down many things. So this is gotta be backed by a lot of data. Or is there a license change precluding them from managing Chef anymore? I'm curious. Um, this was an interesting article I found. Uh, I think, <laughs> On the one hand, I hate these things like, this is why we can't have good things. This is why we can't have nice things, right? Um, it is a you know general best practice to strictly pin your GitHub actions, um, you know, using like a commit SHA for that action. But GitHub actions are so flexible, so malleable, um, that doesn't really buy many assurances. Because you could just be pinning, for example, to a composite GitHub action, and the composite GitHub action is just calling other actions that are not pinned strictly to anything. So just strictly pinning your actions is, uh, yeah, you, you got to have additional checks and balances in place to make sure you don't introduce supply chain uh, attacks. If everyone followed that advice, then, then that would be useful. Exactly. Yeah. If it was recursive. Yeah. I mean, isn't that true for anything? I mean, if I pin the <laughs> version of left pad, but left pad uses whatever. Yep. I, supply <laughs> chain attacks all the way down the supply chain. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So, and then. <laughs> Exactly. And even even the like, for example, some of the more advanced GitHub actions that themselves are using uh, NPM modules or Python libraries or whatnot, and those aren't strictly pinning. Uh, yeah, it's it's 
there's no good answer other than take a snapshot of the entire dependency chain. And there's no practical conceivable way of doing that either without also regenerating or uh, modifying the code in line. So uh, that was that. Um, just a small announcement. Um, so it's someone... funny. Jeremy just po posted what I was actually going to say is that if we could, if we could write all of our CICD pipelines uh, using Nix, then then it solves the problem because that's exactly what Nix does. It it yeah. creates like an entire dependency tree, snapshotted at a particular mm -hmm. point in time, all the way down, and you can always roll get back to that exact version, running the exact things that you want. That's a good point. Uh, now, uh, yeah, now we just need Nixci, Nixi. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, this was just a small one. I'm happy to see some more uh, U.S. government um, investments, open sourced or at least publicly available on GitHub. Here's a roadmap to some of those projects um, that uh, you can explore. Soon to be end of life or announced uh, abandon. As all these things are. Uh, I don't think this is a new announcement. We might have even brought it uh, up before. Could I'm you sorry. go back to the could you go back to the, the GSA code one real quick? Uh, I'll just call yeah. some out real quick. Real fast, just recognize the help the age of what these yeah. have up here. Oh so, so ah, it's not very well modified, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Good point. That's actually fast moving in government land. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean we should use it in the private sector, though, unfortunately. Oh, well. I'll throw out a, a quick shout out. If folks um, aren't aware, there's a, it's called codeforamerica.org. They do a very similar, um, Situ or I guess kind of um, open source slash collaborative um, software uh, for community based kind of uh, yeah it's it's just reaching out getting volunteer developers um, to help you know build software and work on projects for the betterment of all so really cool mm -hmm. I've, I've worked with them uh, in the past. Any uh, um, uh, success stories off the top of your head? Yeah, I worked with um, the state of California um, with their uh, citizenship and, and immigration. And mm -hmm. uh, we helped build a, a, you know, a full stack application um, because as we were kind of doing community outreach to identify, you know, how can we help green card holders or, um, you know, non-permanent residents, you know, uh, you know, become a citizen, uh, the, the biggest kind of barrier to entry was just lack of knowledge and, and language. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, when we built this full stack app in collaboration with them, um, you know, we were able to, you know, um, exponentially increase, you know, that, that success rate. So yeah, they gave us, you know, quite, quite a fat grant. And so we're working with them on, on other things too, but that was like a, a pretty big one, a pretty big win. But yeah, there's there's open source, not just in in FOSS, but you know, obviously a lot of smaller, not even just government like state, but even local, like uh, open source San Jose.org is the main brigade I'm a part of. And yeah, sometimes we just focus on more county or uh or or city-based um initiatives. Just for my sake, you maybe explained it. Is there an actual government sponsorship of this, or is it entirely an independent nonprofit organization? It is an independent nonprofit. Yeah, yeah. Just to be clear, sorry. Uh, but yeah, we code.gov, I guess, is an official repo for I guess government <clears throat> sites. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the next announcement, I don't think it's also anything uh, new. 
uh, also kind of old. Uh, it was just surfacing or circulating again in my LinkedIn feed. Um, I think a lot of these are um, pretty, I say, shallow in their depth. Uh, Well-intentioned, Michelle. What else? Um, oh, this one here struck a chord with me uh, or anyone else in the community uh, building open source products, um, trying to monetize them. And some of the challenges that you have when you build products for developers and some of the sales techniques that work in a lot of ways, but maybe don't work that well with developers because developers are allergic to high pressure sales or anything like that. Um, and one of the kind of uh, funny observations that they had at Earthly, so they basically had launched a CI, managed CI product based on Earthly. Earthly is a fresh take on how to do uh, builds in a very uh, fast and efficient manner. That's cross-platform. It also works. You can just embed Earthly pipe like actions in any system that you use, whether it's Jenkins, GitLab, GitHub Actions, etc. And then they had a standalone product, Earthly CI. Uh, and in the spirit of you know, uh, uh, but like a lean startup, you know, launching something early, uh, getting validation and feedback. Well, it, they weren't able to make it work. But one of their one of the funny little anecdotes from their story is the biggest the biggest negative indicator of a potential customer was they they went through their funnel and requested a demo, meaning that they didn't actually find the product, kick the tires, try and use it on their own before reaching out. And I I find you know some some. Uh, Empathy with that in what we do at Cloud Posse, selling a technical product. All right. Anyone else had any reactions to this? I think it's actually a smart play overall. Like we already have too many CI platforms. Yeah. But focusing focusing on tooling that can run on any CI platform actually sends like <clears throat> sounds like a much better plan to me and makes them more laser focused on what the core mission is without having to deal with the very hard job of running a platform that can that can run any arbitrary workload to yeah. to build and deploy things which there are very large companies that are already struggling at doing that right now so <laughs> github <laughs> github actions there's yeah. i mean every one of them right i mean github circle ci you know Weekly, it feels like the scale they're operating. Yeah, it's just it's a, it's a hard problem. I also think it's really smart because it is a big lift to ask a company to move like a decade of codified pipelines and things in Jenkins to a whole new platform founded by a startup that might just shut down or you know sunset it, which actually ended up happening in this case. Um, so yeah, just focusing on better build tooling for that sounds cool. They, so the other thing that they are keeping are satellites, which is, I believe, hosted runners for running some of these things that they do. Yeah, it's basically like how they do parallelism. Like you basically mm -hmm. start up an agent, um, which would presumably run on some other CI platform in this case, or locally if you're doing local testing and and development and then like you send jobs to all of those things and then they can coordinate their their job running and report back to the main caller <clears throat> yeah is anybody using earthly i'd love to hear a first-hand account um i've been messing with it just locally with a few different builds it's kind of nice um but i can't I really have to kick the tires on something for a while now for me to really see whether or not it, it passes all of my scruples. Because honestly, I, I have a lot of tools that I use. So for me, it's like, here's another on the shelf. Uh, funny uh, thing in the chat here, Matt Galias uh, post. So the the founder of Earthly is actually Vlad Lanoscu, 
but not the Vlad Lanoski that's a regular of our office hours. Two totally different Vlads uh, with the same name. With the uh, exact same name. Yeah, uh, and even a lowercase is... second, like uh, even spelling their last name in lowercase. Maybe that's a language thing. I don't know, but I thought that was funny. Cool. Oh, and in a very funny, uh, without making commentary on the political thing of it, I I ran into a guy the other day whose whose name is actually Alex Jones, oh. um, and and he said that uh, how hard it is for him what he calls different places and tries to make reservations and things because people think <laughs> oh, people no. think that he's like the Alex Jones, right? <laughs> you know, that's in the news everywhere, and uh, and he said that. He's considered actually giving himself a different name because of how much of a pain in the ass it is. So uh, it's funny when people have the same names. Yeah, we need we need global unique names from now on. We need, everyone has that be named a Ewid. For what is worth, it. I friended myself on Facebook other Eric Ostermans because I just thought it was a fun idea to be friends with myself. Interesting. Uh, to see somebody else growing up with the same kind of. Yeah, I'm interested in, in the, a few of my, a few of the, my coworkers have talked about earthly, you know, and I've, I've, I've just very superficially looked at it. Um, I, I'm interested as well in just kind of hearing people's uh, if, experience if, with it. If you already organize, um, several docker images you try to use for base builds it's really handy you find yourself making um a tool belt or a toolbox pretty quickly with it so i like that about it um i don't want to just say it's all sunshine and rainbows because obviously with that i've made lots of really lousy tools so i don't know yet if that's just me or the tool um i think it's me so uh there's it's a little there's a little bit of a knack in how to write uh docker containers with it that uh compose well but i yeah you know like yeah, i said I i'll mean, be cautiously been, supportive i've always been super happy with you know just wrapping a like i'll have a a, a make file that has a target called test and inside that target it'll run docker run whatever you know and and run the test and that'll run anywhere you know my entire github actions pipeline is you know jobs whatever step run make test i haven't tested it out but i'm curious to test it out along with also i think dagger is the one that people often most compare it to yeah yep I'm in the GitLab land, and the one annoying thing about GitLab and pipelines is you kind of have to push your code for it to fail. It, it's right. dagger.io, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I've used Dagger as well. I think that um, I, I love Qlang for uh, some of the type safety stuff that it does. Um. But that's another tool that I, I haven't had the time to really vet. I, you know, need more weekends. <laughs> How's like, is there any caching mechanism? How have you found that experience? Because that's something that I'm always finding myself having uh, problems with, you know, slow builds or ephemeral runners. So that's uh, a, something that Earthly does really well based on their docs, but I haven't used it, so I can't. It that. does. It, it does a pretty good job of caching. Um, that's also where, again, I, I I have to admit that I'm still getting skills on how to do it right. And um, I have folks who recommend me stuff all the time. Um, let's see if I can even get one of these up. But um, not to derail the conversation. You mean you have like a little de local demo? Uh, not not from me, but uh, one of the folks who uh was working there. Fortunately, he uh got laid off with the uh sunsetting of the earthly uh -oh. CI. So we would we would pair, uh, and he would show me uh cool stuff with earthly. So oh. um, that's why I was like, I think I have some one of his code examples that was like really neat. Yeah, if you have that and you're able to. Be cool. 
I have to make sure that his license is out and that it's actually public because I think it might be private. <laughs> I think I might have screwed up on that. I might have just screwed up on that. I think it might be uh, private stuff. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or just uh, raise <laughs> this your is my hand. fault. Raise your hand if there's something, but yeah. This whole this whole uh, uh, situation kind of is a good segue into the larger conversation of, you know, when is it quote unquote right to stick with the mainstream, you know, GitHub Actions, GitLab CI Jenkins is probably the top three versus go with some like as an example, you know, for for any type of tool versus go with, you know, something that's, you know, much smaller. But not something that's super widespread, you know, and maybe the, the place the place where I'm coming from with that kind of question is like as it as it pertains to like my resume, you know, if I dive into this niche tool that nobody else uses you know is that good for my career or you know is it better for my career to stick with GitLab CI or whatever Um, I, I can throw another thing out there. Um, I don't see that most tools work well. I do think that, uh, most of the folks I talk to about Nix, they use Nix secretly, um, as do I, and it tends to be, uh, something that accelerates your flow enough and you can always use it, um, right next to other tools like Docker. It plays well with a lot of other tools rather than going against them, but But can you tie that back to Andrew's question about like should he, you know, focus I should you on do mainstream it? CI systems or you know niche or does it matter or whatnot? Is there a right or wrong answer? Yeah, I mean, I my own experience has been um, it's good to think outside the box. Um, I find that all the different tools I've used have given me different perspectives on how to solve the same problem 100 ways. Yeah. Um, so I like that about it, but I do think that there's always a limit. Um, I honestly only, uh, seriously, there's at home. I only try to use, uh, two at most tool chains. Um, Just my, just my opinion. I've been trying to do a lot of innovation at my current role. And so my one advice would be when it comes to the professional workplace, it's, it's very much less about like you and, and very much more about the team. So sometimes you are going to just have to take that more inefficient path to enable other developers to also contribute and engage in CI CD pipelines. as well as when you're, you know, eventually, uh, you know, departure, it's going to continue to be um, sustainable for, for folks that, that take over your work. With that in mind, I also do like um, kind of, you know, in my home lab, test out these uh, different uh, newer tools. And sometimes what I find is um, there's a kind of a neat idea whether it's like, you know, volume mounting for caching, for example, and like, how can I bring that into like my professional, you know, the professional workplace CICD, but in a more packaged and uh, digestible manner. So, but it's so like with most answers, it, it depends. Yeah, I'm not necessarily focusing on just my resume, but it's the resume of the, you know, all the resumes of all the people on my team, too. Um, you know, Yeah. when we're architecting a solution, you know, I think this is something that um, one of my coworkers who does a lot of blogging and, and whatever, um, you know, said one time he, he used to work at uh, Walmart. And so, you know, big, giant, huge production pipelines that, you know, touched, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, you know, he basically said that the kind of things we do, you know, when it comes to operations and DevOps and stuff, things should be boring. Like, you don't want things to be exciting because exciting means, you know, things are down and things are on fire and like you want things to be kind of boring and which is kind of antithesis to... Let's use all the latest and greatest, you know, tools and stuff compared to let's use what's boring, what's reliable. I'll piggyback on on that and say that that's like 
there's probably five blog posts out there that are about using Postgres instead of using the 50 other database niche database options that you could uh, go and use for search or, or whatever. And, and I actually, we just had, we just went through a long um, investigation for our client to basically write up a document that says, yeah, we should not use Elasticsearch. We should use Postgres because it's better for our use case and, and a lot less maintenance overhead. So yeah, the picking boring technology as just a general, um, yeah, trend to follow or a thing to do is is not always glamorous, but but it is good. I think you know to your original question about uh, when to go outside of that. Um, my my own thoughts are maybe if you're you're you know technology is is unique or or it has something that's specific. Um, you know, going back to CICD, I think I, I thought of a good example. Like there's a, a, a company called Pradvana and they do um, CICD for single tenant and multi-tenant infrastructure, which multi-tenant infrastructure is a big pain. And I don't, I've never seen their product, um, you know, but maybe if you were on a multi-tenant infrastructure, then maybe it makes sense to at least evaluate them. Um, but I think for the most part, sticking with the standard tools makes a lot of sense. Uh, and there's another place to break out of that, which is, hey, when you can use an open source community, um, then and and you know leverage that, then there's a big reason to shift and kind of make a move. And I think that's what we've seen with GitHub Actions is that it is a big force multiplier to use GitHub Actions. Uh, because you're able to pull actions from an ecosystem. And that is huge in terms of like building, you know, the same CICD that we've all built for every company we've worked for. Um, anyway. I got to head off, but I'll, I'll, I don't want to take up any more time, but I'll make a note of this is um, when you know andrew when you're saying like you know keep it vanilla keep it boring keep it simple keep it stable um you know at the end of the day it's it's all about perspective right if if the interface that the developers interact with the cicd pipeline doesn't change but the experience after they click that button or they push that commit stays the same or improves then that's fine right so get to a state where it is stable and it is boring. And then that means you have time to do that innovation um, behind the curtain and then roll out, you know, those iterative changes to your CICD. And then the interface from the developer point of view doesn't change. You build that tooling to interface. You know, that's why, they, you know, there's developer tooling, develop, developer automation and experience teams to kind of bridge that gap to ensure that, you know, they're in their world. And they live on top of, you know, the, the platform engineering that you you bring out. One really cool thing that came out really recently, I, I'll put it in the chat. Um, GitHub Actions Runners, um, self-hosted on Kubernetes, is really, really cool. Um, two weeks ago, they came out with another Helm chart. So before there was the Actions Runner Controller, which is where you have long-lived runners um, in that same Helm chart I put in the chat. And then more recently, I think about a year now, they started uh, rolling out scale set and they had the scale set controller. And then now they have a new, and so that's just a controller, right? And so now they have a home chart for um, uh, provisioning the scale set, which is essentially like, you know, Ubuntu latest or Ubuntu four core. Um, I've been trying it out this past week and it's been very reliable and quick. Um, so highly recommend it really, really, really cool. Um, I would recommend I had to roll, I had to build my own Docker image, but I just based it off of the, uh, GHCR you see there on 169. So I could build in my, uh, build X plugins and compose plugins and Helm CLI and AWS, but, uh, cause it doesn't come with like WGAN and curl, but, um, after getting that out of the way, it's been, uh, very stable and very good, very good for us and cheap and fast. So really cool. Um, thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Uh, thanks. Have a good day. So 
The, the only thing I'd like to is to kind of take you through, but because I want to play devil's advocate on on what most people are saying here is the keep it boring, keep it usual conversation. Is that if it, if everybody did that, innovation would never happen. And I'm not saying that you want to roll new stuff out into production the, the day it comes out. But for instance, like an example of what I'm talking about is that when Golang came out, it was funny because it came out and it was like the whole world adopted it really quickly. Um, but it was very new. I, obviously, it was something that Google had been playing with for a period of time prior to releasing it to open source. But my point is, is that if nobody ever uses anything new, experiments, tests, uh, it does the, the usual rollout of the newer stuff that can come out and that can make our lives easier. Innovation will never happen. And we'd still be rolling on, on in production things that are 20 years old and never updated. So while I agree to some extent that we want to use judicious planning and testing for old stuff, there's nothing wrong with using new stuff as long as you do your due diligence and making sure that it works correctly for your use case. And, and I would, I would also apply that it depends. So I don't think it's a good idea to be very prescriptive about, uh, you got to do it this way. Um, it does depend on your environment, your teams, your, your knowledge. Um, I don't necessarily kind of, kind of pivot for a second. I don't necessarily agree with, um, doing like, like uh, creating everything based on the the premise that that your teams uh, or that your future your future replacement is going to be able to going to have to know how to work with it the problem with that is that you don't know who your future replacement is and if you don't innovate because you're thinking that your future replacement's not going to be able to work with it in the future. Well, then that person probably ought not to be the future replacement. We all have to learn new things. We all have knowledge that we end up uh, not do we do we know now, but tomorrow we're going to learn something new. I don't think that you should hold yourself back <laughs> from getting a good product out the door because you think that your future replacement can't manage it. And that's it. Yeah. I, I yeah. think the one comment I'll add and then shut up is is. Golang did a really good job because Golang's boring now. Yeah. Like, it, it's, this, it, it's, it's further to the right <laughs> on that scale of adoption. Um, you know, and I guess my argument is, you know, in, in our particular field, platform engineering, operations, DevOps, whatever you want to call it, 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 it feels smarter to be over more towards the right of the adoption curve than all the way on the left. When it comes to, you know, maybe app development, that's that's when you're able to go shift further over to the left. I think it I think it depends on and this is really like the advice for a lot of things. It depends on what your business does and how it innovates and how it makes money. Like if you are like an e-commerce company, I completely agree with you, right? Like, you know, you want the most stable platform that can deliver your app, you know, 24 by seven to do whatever it needs to do to sell product, you know, through that pipeline. But if you are a company whose business is like the, the platform or part of the platform or doing something to deliver a platform, like you need to be way more on the side of the left to that, to be able to deliver innovation and scale and new features and those types of things to your customers. So I think you have to look at the perspective of what your business actually is. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Cause the other thing this friend of mine says is, you know, we aren't software engineers, you know, their primary job responsibility is not to write code. It's to deliver outcomes, you know, and deliver business outcomes and, and, what you just said goes right into that. So for those 100%. of, so for folks who are interested in this conversation and want to dive deeper, uh, I would like to recommend uh, Wordly mapping as a as an interesting framework uh, that might be useful uh, to. Uh, it's Wordly mapping. Yeah, that's the one. Learn Wordly mapping. Uh, essentially, it, it's an exercise that permits you to take your value chain. Uh, and 
overlay it on a maturity model uh, that that gives you a sense of where you should invest in developing uh, along that value chain. It, it's it's kind of parallel to the conversation that's been happening here. Um, it's a it can be a little bit verbose, but it seems like there's not this warty mapping in '96. It seems like there's been a lot of development in trying to make it more uh, user friendly. So it might be uh, it might be useful. I'd say just give it a look. Give it give yourself like thirty minutes to take a look at it, and if you if it sticks with you, then it's great. If not, then you know forget what I said. <laughs> yeah, I think drawing and I'll say this, and then I I will be quiet and let Eric move on to the next. <laughs> topic. But, um, the the drawing the the parallel like very very close into this this group here like what we do at cloud um in investment in tools and reusable workflows and building those types of things and like all sorts of crazy automations and stuff we spend tons of time on is because we're delivering like reusable products to end users like probably isn't the same kind of stuff that you as a consumer like of that product and delivering a different business to a different set of customers should be interested in, in trying to fix and improve. And, and I think that you have that kind of all along the value chain, like, you know, we're like, and we at cloud policy are not like spending tons of time, like tuning uh, kernel parameters to get the highest IO throughputs we can so that like our Terraform code builds faster or something like that. But, you know, people who are building um, streaming platform appliances that they're putting at the edge for Netflix certainly are interested in looking at those types of things as problems to solve. So like solving core problems that are aligned with your business proposition is probably the best advice you can look at for all of this stuff and figure out whatever isn't your, your core value proposition and figure out a, like a different solution that can solve that for you from someone who who does that as their value as their core business. You know, I think that's kind of the easy way to look at it from uh, figure out what to work on, what not to work on. Yeah. All right. Let's just then move on to one last announcement. Thank you. And a Matt Gowie, you had posted a question a couple of weeks ago. I don't think you were on last week, so wanted to get to that one today. Uh, so. Um, Last one was just uh, Google announces some infrastructure uh, provisioner working with Terraform. Uh, just some of the irony in this was uh, in the same document. It says uh, it's designed to work uh, with Terraform, which is an open source tool. So not sure if they're referring to OpenTF or uh, earlier versions of Terraform there. They actually point to like the get getting started from HashiCorp Terraform. So I'm assuming they mean that. I know. That's me being yeah. smart. Oh yeah, yeah. So um <laughs> one quick announcement that I noticed, uh not not that I noticed, but like that I know came out yesterday was that uh in advancing the open TF uh, agenda, um, you know, they were they've been talking about building a registry uh, to combat Terraform's um, registry syntax, uh, our registry licensing um, things. And uh, yesterday they announced that Fastly offered to donate um, the uh, hosting and bandwidth at the edge to host a central um, uh, Terraform registry for OpenTF, which I thought was pretty interesting announcement. Yeah, very cool announcement of them stepping up for that. Uh, I mean, fortunately, the, the the bandwidth requirement is relatively minimal, but having a distributed um, yeah registry backed by the yeah. CDN would be great. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that that's a great solution. Uh, I believe there's, <clears throat> I don't know if it's been published yet, I believe the registry that they're working on will be published at some point. All the official providers have to be recompiled because you're not allowed to redistribute the uh, binaries from HashiCorp. So that's why I see all of these here. I was just going to ask that. That scared me. Um, but I guess they can just keep the fork up to date from the upstream and then rebuild. 
and that's what yeah. they're planning on doing. So that's totally legit. Yeah. And who knows, you know, I mean, I think I'm, what I'm hoping is ultimately this is successful enough that it's a futile thing. And actually Corp just says that you, you can use these providers. That's fine. Yeah. We hope it seems like they're trying to create the roadblocks though, that make it so that that's not the case. The registry move is the, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That was, that was I, I actually, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that the, I just happened to notice this, I think yesterday or the day before when I was um, plugging around is that the, the open TF manifesto repo has almost the same number of stars as HashiCorp Terraform. Yeah. It almost uh, reached that in less than uh, two weeks or something. Yeah. Pretty phenomenal, and then you want pretty crazy. So the yeah, the the actual uh, yeah Terraform has thirty eight thousand stars, I believe. Yeah, exactly. And the actual like Open TF repo already has close to six thousand stars. I think yeah. So I think it's off to a good start, um, and you know, things are forthcoming with a very large, you know foundation linux foundation i don't think it's secret anymore so there'll be a public announcement on that coming up soon all right uh let's see matt gowie hey um so you'd ask something here what are folks using for internal dev documentation wikis uh you have a client uh they their docs are split across many areas and you're looking to help them with this uh, you started to re uh, research um, GitHub's wiki, but realized that there's nowhere near as full-featured as you'd like it to. What you know, free and open-source tools are there? Yeah, um, and I uh, I forgot I posted this, but I would love to still hear folks' thoughts. I know you folks use Docosaurus. Um, I'd love to hear the the thoughts behind using docosaurus and hosting it uh your own i think and i think that it you know there's two this is internal documentation right like this is documentation we want behind authentication um yeah. so that's that's a piece um that i think is like worth mentioning um for you maybe hosting it uh and having it be open documentation then it makes a lot of sense uh to use something that's just uh, completely open and yeah, you need to to run this site, but maybe Netlify is running that for you and it's super cheap. Um, what I think we're moving towards after like looking at a few options uh, and I definitely haven't heard of all the options. So I'd love to know what others uh, use still. Um, but, you know, we were looking at Gitbook and some of the alternatives there and their pricing is just kind of crazy. Um, like it's paid per user and it's, it's not cheap for, uh, you know, self-hosted internal documentation. Um, and then the one that I found that looked really, you know, full featured, um, pricing looks solid, supports GitHub SSO, um, was read the docs, uh, which of course has been really used heavily in the Python community. I've seen it a ton. Um, I think I actually used to work in the same office as them back, you know, over a decade ago. Um, and yeah, I, I think we're gonna move in that direction. Um, but um, if anybody has any better suggestions, um, then the we'd only, love to hear it. The only thing I would suggest, okay, so some background on me is I've been doing this now for about 25 years. And documentation by far is the biggest problem that I've seen across the board my entire 25 years in this in this profession. The only thing that I would call out to be careful of is that Typically with technology, you could say, you know what, find what works best now. And, you know, if we get to a point where we don't like this, we can always shift to something else. It's kind of a pain to shift, but we can move into something else. Documentation is going to be the one thing where that might be really complicated. So you're going to want to try to make the best choice you can right now. And unfortunately, something that is not expensive, in my estimation, is going to be really hard to find. And by that, I mean, that's not expensive and meets all your needs, especially when you're probably going to want to have a lifetime of at least five years or more using whatever tool you decide to use. We use Jira. The problem with Jira is that it is very expensive. And 
it's useful. It's got its little bugs and crap here and there. And and the features that it provides, in my personal opinion, are really no no better than something you could get with, say, GitHub markup and using GitHub markup. And and if this was my company um, as a software developer and an SRE, personally, I would just stick with GitHub documentation and wiki. But everyone has different needs. What I'm looking to find eventually here in the future, and if you can find something that can do this, um, I, I'm not a big, huge fan or proponent of the GPT stuff. But one of the places where I see GPT that could really shine is maintaining your documentation for you, depending upon where it can gather information and, and train itself about what your software is. Because one of the biggest problems with documentation is keeping it alive. It is, it's a pain in the butt. So I don't have a good answer for you, unfortunately, because this is a, a perpetual problem that personally I've never found a really solid solution to. But those are a couple of thoughts that I can put on the table for you. I think there's two use cases here, and I'm confused as to which one I think you're looking for. One is a static documentation website. The other is a wiki. So like static documentation website is when you would use DocuSaurus, read the docs, whatever. A wiki is you would use GitHub Wiki or Confluence or you know whatever, but they're like static documentation website, you're putting in a PR to update documentation for a tool or whatever. Uh, you know, something like Confluence or GitHub Wiki or whatever, like those are living documents that update way more frequently that, you know, multiple people might go in and update it once. Yeah, so what we're doing, what we need, like, we needed an aggregate uh, documentation hub that is a, a wiki more than it is. And, and I mean, the thing is that those um, wikis can be a static site because, hey, if it's just on auto deploy when something gets updated, um, that's what we're planning on doing. But we need the internal documentation hub that's GitHub SSO authentication uh, because, hey, it is a client. We're not in there. Um, you know, SSO directory. Uh, so we are all, uh, both my team, their team, and, you know, stakeholders are all in GitHub. Uh, and that provides us like an easy means by which to say, hey, we, you know, have our authentication uh, for, for these internal documentation, which is like Wikidocs, like, hey, how do you use AWS uh, locally? How do you, you know, use the AWS CLI and get credentials for that um, is an example of like one of our docs. Um, and I don't see them as, um, that you can't use the static site generation as the, the thing that's in front of, uh, that's actually hosting that, that wiki though. Um, can, yeah. Yeah. Can I yeah. interject for a moment? Um, so, uh, one, you, you triggered uh, some thoughts. I mean, this is something that we've had to deal with at Cloud Posse. We obviously have some different requirements and I, I don't necessarily think our solution is the right solution for what you're trying to solve. Um, I I wish we didn't have to host our docs. I wish uh, we didn't have to deploy CloudFront and S3 and all this stuff to accomplish that. Um, if, I, if I could have it my way, we would just use uh, GitHub's ability to natively host private sites so i first wanted to mention if you've looked if you weren't aware of this this is the easiest way to go you get it today you're not paying for extra uh users or anything because you're already paying for github but it requires github enterprise i'm not sure if your customer has github enterprise they do not and yeah i would have gone down this route if we were on enterprise but yeah, we, yeah. we've run into the same problem so but you mentioned an interesting thing and uh, i was thinking like you know, well, you need to pick kind of the right tool for the right team. I don't expect the marketing department. I don't expect the sales team to be opening up GitHub pull requests to update relevant docs. It's just not the right tool. Yet Notion, in my opinion, Confluence, and this is a correction. This is, I have, I'm correcting myself here. I still think Confluence is also not the best place for technical documentation either because you need that stuff versioned alongside of the code that it's uh, describing, right? So we have this problem of multiple systems. 
for cloud posse, we have this thing, like we have our tool, like Atmos and we, we don't want to overload this with a lot of stuff on how we use Atmos. So this documentation site is really about Atmos itself. But then we have our documentation site uh, on how we use our tooling, uh, what our building blocks, and these are aggregated across all these different sites. But what I'm getting to is something that I think you might be able to do relatively easily going along this theme where you, the, the company has silos of documentation and information, the unifying thing for a low-hanging fruit is this, Algolia. So what's really interesting here is I'm on the Cloud Posse site, but I can search for Atmos uh, components or like client commands, and I ended up on the Atmos site. So you can imagine that if you just uh, built the indexing part sufficiently for your organization, so you can get all that into uh, your own internal search engine, you can find docs or discover docs across the org. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of going towards what, or I think Jim was going in a different direction, but I think that's one of the things that I'm excited about for um like the rise of AI is that like, hey, we can have all of our docs and and you know everything kind of have this problem of there's five different places to put it, um, but we have one one location that you can search across all of it and, and it you know gets easily found. Um, how have you liked working with Algolia as the means by which to to do that? Because I've seen them use it in a very different situation than what you're using it for, and yeah, I'm interested just. Do you think that's the right tool? You've seen Algolia used in a different way. I see. It. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm using the web differently. I see Algolia almost predominantly just for searching uh, documentation, but I guess some e-com sites use them maybe in others. But I had a client using it um, for their like big custom CMS, and it was like they were using it instead of a, like Elasticsearch, basically. It was like a hosted um, search tool, but it wasn't a, let me find all these different sources and pull them all together. Um, yeah. So one of the nice things about Algolia, they rolled out uh, their grow plan, mm. which uh, becomes, is pretty affordable. We were on some legacy plan and it was just going up. We were paying like six, $700 a month for, for search of static documentation that cost me like 75 cents a month to host, run, serve, do whatever. But with the grow plan, it's down to like 50 or 75 bucks a month. Nice. Um, I, the team seems to like it. It's natively supported by everything out there. It is uh, ubiquitous in that sense. That's why I think it's a good choice. Okay. That's something I'll definitely look into at least for like long-term. Um, I think we have a path. So but yeah. so I was going to get, I'll give you a complete right turn that no one else has even mentioned here um, <laughs> that I've, I've used um, in Don't its earlier. Docs. No, no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the opposite of that guy. <laughs> um, the uh, um, yeah. If your code isn't clear enough to be able to just read and understand Matt, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the uh, I, I, Docs, I guess, is one thing, but like wiki and knowledge sharing and specific, like the things that I've seen 10,000 10, times, but I can never find the answer to and that kind of thing um, is uh, Stack Overflow for Teams. Um, I know it's it's also expensive. Uh, you know, if you're talking, it's, it's probably about the same pricing as the, um, the other uh, tool that you mentioned. Um, there but the the functionality i think like almost every developer on earth probably knows how to use stack overflow because they've used it so much throughout their career um and they actually um and they actually have like a really good like they give you an instance of stack overflow for your team you can put articles in there which can be all the the documentation and you can also do q a's um, that are tagged just the same exact way that real regular stack overflow regular stack overflow is, um, and um, you know finding stuff in my opinion is super simple when you search through this. Um, I've I've used it uh, for only for for only one and a half companies I'll say <laughs> we we were demoing it at one place and then um, used it like 
pretty heavily at another. And uh, I've been, I was really happy with the outcome and, and the barrier to entry. Th- this is the big one for me. And this would be my argument uh, against Eric's um, thing of like our whole team loves, you know, Algolia. I think we love the search, the UX or DX of Algolia, but like creating new documentation that is then reviewed and stored and eventually like indexed by it is still a giant pain in the ass where um, the the burden to create knowledge yeah. and update knowledge in yeah. Stack Overflow is like, you know, uh, you know, whatever, multiples of times less complicated mm-hmm. than opening yeah. GitHub PRs and Markdown and all sorts of other crazy things. And remembering where what repo do we store that in? Where is that in the repo? Which you know who needs to review this? Da, 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 like like there's a lot more um, there's a lot more overhead with the way we do it versus something like Stack Overflow. So you can anyway, start just something, something like to Stack Overflow. You can use that to collect the knowledge to collect the things that you can then ultimately use with ChatGPT to write your. No, I'm joking. Uh, they can ultimately use to inform the documentation that needs to be written. Uh, and the the barrier to entry is very low, like Matt was saying. I was just going to throw out. I mean, I I was so close to signing up for this uh, for a cloud policy. I, I was um, encouraging uh, you. <laughs> yeah, but I was. We're just sassed to death, and I'm just trying to cut costs everywhere I can. And um, when you get the same ish functionality for free uh, through GitHub now with discussions, it's tightly integrated to the product. Things can be tra- associated with issues and projects. Um, yeah, it's not as fancy. It doesn't have some of the eye candy. It doesn't have the yeah. document features. But I, I, I'm happy with it. Uh, I would say our internal adoption could be improved, and there needs to be some rigor to how you use this. But that same rigor would apply to Stack Overflow. Probably, yeah. I think, you know. I wouldn't exactly classify it as you get the same thing in GitHub knowledge discussions. I mean, that's almost like saying, you know, your, uh, you know, whatever your your Hyundai, you know, Hyundai Elantra provides the same function that your Ferrari does. Well, yes, it does, but there are also <laughs> like there are also a lot yeah. of different uh, uh, different bells and whistles in how it achieves that, like between the two of them, you know? So. I will say I struggle to find conversations and things like that in uh, GitHub. I, I do too, all the time. Yeah, and and in Stack Overflow, I just feel like somehow, maybe it's just because I've done it for so long, I feel like I can find stuff like a lot easier. Yeah, so. It's a and, good thing to bring into the mix because I'll, I'll think about that. I think that's, that's not a bad uh, option, even though, user cost is yeah it's always just paid because seven bucks a month for their base plan but the the one thing that i will say is the stack overall for teams thing also has so you you have your normal questions and answers just like normal stack overflow has but they also have a thing called articles and articles can actually publish like the documentation quote unquote like the static things that you just want to convey that aren't in a question and answer format so they have the ability to kind of check both of those boxes there. Um, and they have a few other features that aren't in the public product. So take a look, you know, um, take a look at all the features. And I think they have a free trial. So if you want to kick the tires on, you can do that. Good tip. Yeah, cool. Thanks for mentioning that. What would you say? Can those articles be backed by Git? Just curious. Let's go full circle. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember how they do it. I think it's in their own CMS, which like I don't think is backed by Git. But they have an API now too, so you can probably figure out a way to get Git-based article, you know, Git-based markdown as articles if you really want to automate it. All right, everyone. We didn't get through many questions today, but uh, it was a good conversation. Thanks all for your time. Remember, we're going to be posting this video to our YouTube channel in a few hours. Uh, if you haven't uh, already subscribed uh, to our office hours, go to cloudposse.com slash office hours. Again, cloudposse.com slash office hours. You'll uh, receive an invite to our weekly Zoom session here. Connect with me on LinkedIn by going to linkedin.com slash in slash Osterman. If you are curious about learning more about Cloud Posse and how we can help move the needle for you at your organization, go to cloudposse.com slash quiz. 
Again, cloudposse.com slash quiz. See you all next week. Same time, same place. Have a great rest of your week.